What's up, wild animals? I'm Melanie Vesey, and welcome to another promotional rescue talk show. I'm a stand-up comedian, actress, and filmmaker, and if you want to see any of my work, you can do that over on my website, melanievesey.com. But I'm also a promotions consultant with my own company called Promotional Rescue, where I teach people how to promote themselves without feeling gross. And if you want to know more information about that, you can do that over at promotionalrescue.com. I just wanted to give you a little heads up. I've got a new workshop that's going to be coming uh, February 20th. Uh, it is a website 101 workshop. I'm going to be teaching you how to create a website over on Squarespace with all of the basics, the photos you need, how to write a bio, how to glue it all into Squarespace so you can walk away from this workshop with the knowledge about how to build a website that doesn't suck. So you can get more information uh, about that at promotionalrescue.com. But on the show today, I am so excited uh, to chat with my pal, Mark Marin. And the reason why I wanted to chat with Mark is because of his long, incredible career that he did truly his way. And if you don't know Mark, I mean, I don't know what fucking rock you're under. Mark uh, is a stand-up comedian. He's a podcaster. Uh, Obama was on his podcast. He's one of the best podcasts of all times. Uh, and now he is really uh, clicking in with the acting, which is amazing. You may have seen him on Glow, where he did a fucking incredible performance there. Uh, and we talk all about that stuff. And we talk about his journey and his promotional journey uh, and how he feels about it. Uh, and it was so, I'm so inspired by his career, um, mostly because he just kept going and uh, it clicked in in an incredible way. And uh, he really, truly is, I really can't say this enough, that he truly did it his way. And over on my Patreon, so this, this, this podcast works in two parts. You can watch all of this here, uh, the first part on all of my social media. You can watch that all for free. However, over on my Patreon, uh, I have full versions, audio and video, of these conversations that I have. And over on the Patreon version with Mark, uh, we also talk about the new movie that he's in called To Leslie, which sounds amazing, and his confidence with taking on this role and doing this work and it is a pretty fucking awesome conversation over there so you can follow mark Marin also to his podcast wtf podcast um everywhere and he's also does these really great uh instagram lives almost every day over on his instagram so definitely follow him there um enjoy the talk you guys i truly enjoyed this conversation with mark and it was so funny because I know that when Mark has interviewed some really big people, there's been technical difficulties. Uh, when he, I think when he interviewed um, Keith Richards or whatever, uh, you know, sound wasn't working or something. And it was, of course, leave it to me. I'm interviewing Mark and my internet was garbage. So um, the audio is good. However, I'm glitching a little bit in this. And it's just one of those things where it's like, God damn it, you just... Done is better than perfect. You know what I mean? You just got to keep on going. I hope you enjoy this conversation with me and Mark Marin. Hey, Mark. Hi, Mel. How's it going, man? Pretty good. I'm okay today. You know, I got up and worked out and thought about things and ate some food and smoked some fish. And that's not code. I actually smoked some fish. Uh, like a lock situation? A white fish? A sturgeon. Uh... A sturgeon situation. 
Nice. I'm already jealous. I yeah. used to live around the corner from Russ and Daughters in New York City. Right. And like that. Like I can smoke. I smoke the sable. I'll smoke uh, sturgeon. I just this is the only second time I did it out on the Traeger. But it's like that. It's like that kind of uh, fish, like Jew smoked fish. Oh, I am. So my stepmom's Jewish. So I was raised with her for many, many years. And I am all about the Jew food. Like, I'm just totally like the matzo ball, the yeah. smoked, the the crepla, the the yeah. like noodle kugel, the like all, all. I live for all of it. So I'm super Kreplach. jealous. Of your That's pretty deep Jew. The- I, as I said it, I was like, is that the right word? Did I like where, that is where a, the fuck uh, did that come from? That's a Jew. Uh, that's a Jew soup dumpling, basically. It's like a Jewish wonton. Yum. Yeah. Yum. Yeah. Amazing. So well, good. I'm I'm glad you're doing the 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 Lord's work of uh, of smoking the fish. Uh, Why not? And, I got and plenty of time. <laughs> so I wanted to chat with you today uh, because you know you've been doing this 150,000 years. What? And doing what? Comedy, doing right. comedy for 150,000 years. Yeah. And I just listened to the the WTF um, uh, this morning. I kind of caught up with the uh, Adam Zaltzman, if I'm saying his name correctly. Yes. And, you know, I in and, all the times that I've been listening to your podcast, you talk about your experience with social media, you know, the ups and downs, you know, turning it on, turning it off, you know, what have you. And uh and you t- and you spoke briefly about it with your experience with Edinburgh, and I and this is essentially like what I want to talk to you about is your promotional journey because relating to an audience on stage is also what we do when we're also promoting the stuff, self promotion. So when you get that gig, you also have to go do morning radio and what have you. And like, how have you dealt with it over time, and how has it changed for you? Oh well, everything's. Well, everything's different now. And that was Andy Zaltzman. And when I met him at Edinburgh, there was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. There was nothing. You know, we were out handing out flyers. There was really, yes. if there, even if there was Instagram or Twitter, I, I don't know that I was that proficient at it. I mean, for me, it used to be when I started that you, if you did a talk show of some kind, that it might mean something. And even that, by the time I did... Conan or by the time I did Letterman, it didn't have the same effect because there were so many channels. I think back in the 70s when there was three networks and someone did Johnny Carson and said they were going to be at a club, they'd pack it out because everybody was watching it. So my experience with promotion, I've never, I've tried different elements, but ultimately, I mean, I was on Conan O'Brien like 45 times and I still couldn't draw people. So, you know, Mm. What are you going to do? I mean, it's like once Twitter, once I got it, it all evolved. I mean, but specifically, what do you want to know about morning radio? The morning radio bag was like usually with morning radio, you go into a town. So like I still do morning radio. I don't mind morning radio sometimes because I used to do radio and I appreciate a good morning crew. But uh, the idea was either you'd call in a week before to the morning radio crew, who's ever local, it's usually regional, which barely exists anymore. And, um, or you go in the Thursday morning before the weekend of shows and you try to do it. Now that actually can be pretty effective, but those times I think are sort of diminished. I mean, there used to be local morning radio and you'd go in and the place would be packed 
and local restaurants would bring breakfast and stuff. So, and depending on who it was or how good they were or how much time you spent on there and how you did it, there's a lot of different ways to do morning radio. But, uh, but yeah, that had some effect in the local market. But, you know, so that was a thing. Then there's also local TV, which is generally a fucking disaster. But, you know, who the, I mean, who the hell's watching a local morning show? You're there with some half-assed cooking segment from a guy who owns a restaurant in town. Like, I, over time... I've uh, I've I've lessened my my need to do those kind of shows. Yeah. Well, but there are guys. There are fucking. There are morning radio people that I like. There's dudes in Philly. There's some people in. Um, I used to do Bob and Tom a lot. That's a very good story about about the nature of self promotion. It's very funny. Like Bob and Tom. Oh, here we go. We're gonna get some landscaping noises now. Some. Uh, <laughs> Bring on the leaf blowers, man. It's yeah. L.A. The second yeah, the, you have the, to do something. The, the music of our lives. So, <laughs> but it was funny because, you know, Bob and Tom used to have this sort of fix in on uh, the Midwest. They were they were out mm-hmm. of uh, Indiana, right? Yeah. And you drive out. They had this like weird studio out in the middle of nowhere that they were, that was bought for them because they were syndicated. So they were a big deal, Bob and Tom. Uh, now I think uh, Bob's gone. And, uh, you know, Tom's there alone with a few of his uh, cronies that, that are on the air. But it used to be big. It, they made a lot of guys. I mean, they were very important with, for, to Birbiglia, to a lot of Midwestern comics, to a lot of touring comics. I came in a little late, but it was still what it was. It was a big radio show. But I remember years, like, you know, when I started the podcast, you know, these old radio guys, the egos on these guys, local radio guys have the biggest egos in the world. They're the biggest assholes, and they think they are so important but no one fucking cares or knows about them except for, you know, they're just so excited that they get free donuts and they get a discount on a car if they talk about it. I get it. And some of them are better than others. But I used to do a bit about morning radio. Like you have the you have the main guy, the laughing guy, and the, then the, the confused girl. And if you were just to do sound effects, it would be like, <laughs> oh, fellas. So... I said, but um, but it was funny because I remember after I started to do the podcast, you know, these dinosaurs who I look, I have a lot of respect for them, uh, for some of them, because I did radio and I love radio. And if I didn't have any experience doing radio, I don't know that I would have you know, really acclimated to podcasting as well as I did. I really enjoyed when I did radio for a couple of years. So but I remember after I started the podcast, I was doing Bob and Tom. And Tom just starts reeling off about podcasters like they don't know what they're doing. Like these podcasters, they're terrible at broadcasting. I mean, they don't even know how to reset. Now, you know what a reset is? A reset. No. This is this was the funniest thing. It's like you know, he's like these these fucking kids. They don't reset. They don't know how to reset. A reset is when you come back from a break and go. We're talking to Mark Maron because you don't know if new people came in or you know they didn't hear the beginning of it and you just got out of a break. Uh, for those of you just joining us. We got Mark Marin in the studio who's going to be at uh, Crackers or whatever. That's a reset. So yeah. given that, knowing how podcasts work, why would you fucking need to reset? Exactly. So, so I just thought that was hilarious. The, this sort of ego and this sort of old-timey guy, like, these kids, no resets. It's like, <laughs> yeah, because they, they know why they're there. They, they, they chose to listen to that show, the whole show. Yeah, they don't come they're in not- mid-show. Exactly. <laughs> But so like I've done all that stuff. And then uh, where do you want to go from there? 
the turn like I found the TV was disappointing because like you know how many people watch it how many people are actually activated to go do something I mean specials and stuff getting people to know you but look I'm you know I'm 57 and it wasn't until the podcast had you know after I'd been doing comedy and everything else for over uh, you know probably over 20 years let's see so I started working as a comedian in 1988. And I started doing the podcast in 2009, so that's 98, 2008, 20, 20 some odd years, um, you know, before, you know, I was able to really build an audience. I mean, it wasn't like people didn't know who I was, but most people did not, even though I'd done 40 Conans and four Lettermans and a Tonight, whatever, didn't fucking matter. Yeah, well, I, I think that what, you know, the... The good thing about having a long career is that you predate social media. So when you turned on social media, you did have some of an audience that was already there for you. However, I, 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 I don't not. That's not even really true. I mean, I did. I hosted morning radio for Air America in 2004. Right. So after I moved out here, I went back there and I was always scrambling. But I was never. You know, I don't. You know, there's a lot of people that put all their energy and talent into promotions. And, and, and whether if you can deliver the goods on your promotions, fine. If you're a wizard at promoting. I mean, there are people there was a guy. I remember MySpace. That was the first big one, really. So there was a guy that used to sell followers on MySpace. Everyone had these angles on MySpace. Dane Cook built a, a huge uh, following of teenagers on MySpace or whatever. You know, yeah. by, the time, by the time I got to it, I just I didn't have the wherewithal to do it. And I tried to do it. And I remember there were some people that there was a dude that used to get you followers. So, like, you know, you could go and he'd, he'd work it out. And all of a sudden you've got like, you know, 10,000, you know, uh, Taiwanese followers who you don't <laughs> even know where they come from. But but it was like I, I never really quite, you know, got the follow through or what to do with all that. You know, I put my stuff up. I got involved with it or whatever. But, you know, I didn't really engage that much. And then after I did morning radio, you know, when I got, when I started the podcast, you know, Twitter was a thing that I wasn't really doing. And when I started the podcast, I really, when I started doing Twitter, I only had maybe 1500 people, but the, you know, there wasn't, I didn't have that many people and I didn't have that much notoriety and I had to figure out a way how to detach from all these people that were in my political audience from doing political talk radio to begin the podcast, which I didn't want to do politics and I didn't. Uh, so I was willing to take that hit and lose those people. But interesting. Yeah. I didn't, but want, now, I, didn't want, I didn't want to accommodate them. I mean, over time I found it was necessary to address uh, fascism and politics lately in my, <laughs> at least in my monologues, but you know, it was always more personal. It would be, there was a very, you know, a, a real conscious decision to detach from, political talk when I started the podcast uh, and we started doing it, you know, in those studios, we were kind of sneaking in at night and doing the early podcast. But once I start to understand, you always think the promotion is going to work. I mean, you know, we would, we, you know, worked with uh, Apple early on because they were happy to have professionals involved with podcasting because they were just a platform. It wasn't even, they were just, uh, uh, they, they weren't a server. You, they, you know, they saw podcasts as a way to sell iPhones and iPods and stuff. They didn't have much invested other than, yeah, you can put it up here. But if someone professional right. was doing it, they would be supportive of it. So, you know, I thought like banners would make a difference. This would make a difference. But it all becomes a slow build. I guess when I really became conscious of, you know, trying to make it work promotionally, the podcast specifically, 
was once I started to realize like, all right, well, this is Twitter and this is how this works. So early on in the podcast, I definitely booked people who had, you know, good Twitter followings. And I definitely started to say like, look, you know, could you promote this, which is all anyone does now. And now I won't, I wouldn't even do it for people except for you. I mean, you know, it's just, I did it for a long time. We were all sort of doing each other's podcasts as a promotional means. Like, you know, at the beginning I had people on, the first guest I ever had was Jeff Ross in 2009. I believe that was on the phone, but I became very aware of like, could you promote this on social media, on your social media that you're going to be on my show? And then we made a separate Twitter thing for the show. And like, you know, over time, you know, things started to build, but really what happened was not a social media thing. It wasn't because I did anything. What began to happen because I was early in the game and I was doing a very specific type of show, long form interview, which wasn't really around that much then. People were usually doing some version of a radio show, is that I would have, when I got big profile guests, it was really all about getting the guests. That was the biggest really promotional boon that I had was, you know, getting people like Ben, ben Stiller or early on it was like, um, you know, I can't remember who the big first big ones, but I know Ben was one and maybe not Conan, but, you know, uh, Zach uh, Galifianakis, that what, what started to happen with me was that as podcasts, they weren't even getting popular. And I, I don't know how many people really listen to podcasts now relative to the whole population, but obviously it's a business now. But when I got big guests, they got big attention, not because of social media, not because of anything else, but from the press. So because the press became so shitty at doing their job in a lot of ways, I was sort of doing their job for them. So, you know, people like uh, People Magazine or Vulture or whoever it was were paying attention and they could pull quotes. So most of the popularity that fueled early on the show was mainstream press outlets picking up, you know, interview pieces from my show and putting them into articles. So if I had somebody on that had, you know, a big profile and we talked about something, I'd get quoted in a mm. newspaper or something online, a magazine. Vulture used to love the show. Um, you know, so it started to get momentum in the world of not just tabloid journalism, but in general, because a lot of outlets didn't really have the time or resources to do interviews. So they would pull pieces from my show yeah. and that sort of fed people back into the show. Well, and now what I see is now because just from my experience of working with, you know, larger people, that press sometimes doesn't necessarily move the needle. It's really how they interact on their social media or what they're saying and doing, how they're promoting it and stuff like that. So I also see just kind of seeing you from the outside like I watched you, you know, uh, embrace Instagram, you know, you didn't have an Instagram for a while and then you hopped on Instagram. And during this time when we haven't had the ability to, you know, perform live or get out there, I see you doing these these, uh, you know, uh, morning show. Yeah. And you're on your on your porch show. and you're essentially reaching, you know, a sold out show every single day, you know, and you're doing it on your terms, which is something that. 
I feel like is so important for this because I feel like self-promotion can feel so challenging, but it's like, how can you find the way that you're doing it so that you're in relationship with your audience that still feels good for you on your terms? Yeah, you know, it's weird. You, you know, there was a period there early on with Twitter where I was mad that I didn't have more followers. But then it turns out, you know, a lot of people who got in there earlier got a lot of push from the platform. Uh, but like at the beginning, I got mad because like, why can't I get more followers? And I used to complain about it all the time on the podcast. And that is essentially started to grow. But I kind of like topped off at 900,000 or whatever. And I think a lot of people still kind of buy followers. I don't like it doesn't quite all add up to me. But the Instagram thing, yeah, I started doing a little bit. It was kind of, I didn't want I didn't feel like taking pictures. But once I got hip to the live business and to stories, like I got into the habit of doing it, you know, after Lynn passed away, I was doing it a little bit before that. But then I, you know, because we were stuck in this and I started to realize that my production values are the same as any other TV show right now. No one's doing anything better than what we're doing right now or me on my phone. Yes. And I just started to live my life publicly a little more. And also it did help me get back into a mindset where I could improvise and be quick and, and do this sort of kind of what I do stand up. And in the morning, there's anywhere from, you know, 500 to 1,000 people watching live in and out. And then by the end of the day, 15 to 25,000 people usually watch those things, um, which isn't as big as some people, but it's fine. I'm not really doing it for any other reason than to stay engaged and to, uh, to kind of find new places in my brain to talk about things. And also, it seems to help people. So that's good. I'm working like with that stuff because I see a lot of comics are charging. They're doing live virtual shows. And I got no desire to do that. I don't got any desire to perform stand up for in this mode. I don't have any desire to perform stand up in parking lots or drive ins. <laughs> I've, I've, you know, I've spent long enough getting away from that. I don't need to do a shit gig online or in real life. Um, I miss doing stand up, but I, but creatively, I do a lot of writing weekly for my newsletter and I do riffing in the morning and then riffing on the, the show and I talk to my guests but it's never really I don't think of it in terms of promotion you get into a habit with something and it's sort of like well I've got these people that enjoy this and then all of a sudden it's sort of like I want to keep doing it because like it's nice to have an audience for that but like I don't all I get out of it is some sort of mental emotional creative satisfaction and it seems that people get entertained or they feel less alone or whatever but I operate on sort of a catch and release mode right now where it's like, I'm not going to charge for this stuff. I don't charge for the podcast. You know, I, you know, I've been fortunate in that, you know, we have sponsorship, we have a deal with the, with a platform and, you know, I, you know, I've, I've saved enough money to where I'm not freaking out about that shit. And I don't care. Like the one thing I've learned from the pandemic is that like, you know, I, I, I don't mind doing nothing in a way. And I don't, I, I wouldn't mind if I, if I retired in certain ways. So really I'm not going to do anything I don't want to do. Unfortunately, because of the podcast, the way that my career sort of got started, the podcast fed into my standup and built me an audience is that I've never done anything that wasn't on my terms in my successful life. You know, previously I would do whatever I could to, to get in. But since I've, uh, since the podcast, I've never done anything I didn't want to do. Which I I see, which is why I wanted to chat with you. And also, too, like what I see from the outside, too, and why you're inspirational to me is because 
it's and like what you were saying, like you were you were challenged by the fact that like, where's the where's the following? Why is not this working or whatever it is? You know, and then it's like for you, I feel like it was just a serious slow build right to where it is now. And I think that that is um, I think that's an, an amazing trajectory. And I feel like what we do when we watch things is we see people have this like early boom and we want that kind of like validation off the front end. But it's like most people are going to have a grind, like a consistent grind over time, figuring out what works and what doesn't work. Right. And but, you know, but also most people don't succeed. So like, you know, to not factor that number in is is a little um, uh, uh, it's a little misleading. Is that you know there there's the whatever the the thing about the, the slow build is that it, it's not so much a build. What it is, I think, is that either you find your audience or you don't. There's no build. There's no mainstream. There's no like it used to be like you know if you had a, a network TV show on, you were done and you were making millions of dollars and you know at, at the very least a, a third of the fucking country watched you. None of that exists anymore. So, like, it's more of that kind of like, you know, if you can find your 10,000 people trip, right? So, it's really a matter of, like, if you put yourself out there enough and you get lucky and you have a certain amount of talent that, you know, you find the people that like what you do or, or, or connect with you, then, then that's success. There's yes. no other way to judge it. Yes. You know, because you're either selling tickets or, you know, people are paying for advertising or you know, they're paying to watch you in whatever form you want. So I, I don't know about, I, I guess it took me a long time to find my people and, you know, the podcast and there, I do a lot of things now. I mean, you know, there was a period there where people go, I really like your show. I'd be like, well, what, which format, <laughs> what are you, what are you talking about? And then I, yeah. I got people that only knew me from glow, the TV show, or people that only knew me from the podcast. My podcast audience early on was like, I, you know, he says he's going to do stand up. I hope that, uh, I hope, <laughs> I don't know how it's going to go for him. And it's like, you know, like. I hope it works out for that guy. Right. <laughs> should, we, should we go support him? You know, I mean, I mean, first and foremost, you know, I'm a stand up and that was always the beginning of it. That's what I set out to do. That's what I always wanted to do. And because of the podcast and because of, you know, a, a sort of momentum, but also you have to acknowledge, you know, who are you? I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I'm an acquired taste. I'm very specific. My personality is not boxed in in any way. I'm, I'm pretty all out in a lot of different ways. And for years, I was angry. For years, I was bitter. For years, I was, you know, too much. And, and sort of as I got older and, and things started to level off and I became more comfortable with myself, then, then people start to sense who you really are. But people have come with me along the way for all of it. But I never was cut out for any broad mainstream success. I was always you know, uh, very specific and you have to live with that. I mean, some people really don't like me and some people really like me and most people don't know who I am. <laughs> I think that's also why I love you too, because I'm angry and bitter as well. And uh, I think that's also why I love to connect with you because I yeah. feel like that is inside of me and you're sharing that and being honest about that. Uh, is where I can plug in. You know what I mean? And it right. Well, being bitter is tricky, you know, because like I, I, years ago, I realized that bitterness is really just amplified self-pity. Mm. So, and that, that's not a, appealing anyway. I thought for years that like 
as a stand-up, I was like, everybody must be as bitter as me. That in every person is <laughs> there's one of me yelling. And uh, and that turned out really not to be true. Bitter is a hard sell. Yeah, it um, is. I think also too, especially for women, I feel like it is even more challenging. Yeah, I well, I mean, but more uh, but more reasonable. I, I think that you know, women probably have a more of a, a, a sort of broader reason to be to be bitter. Or, but I mean, bitterness either way. Angry is different. Bitter is something you resign to. Mm. Uh, and you know, it, it's, it's a, a sort of weirdly entitled self-pitying position. Yeah. Whereas, you know, righteous indignation <laughs> is different and that, so, that's a little more entertaining. I think. Yeah. I, well, I think it is, um, I think it's also too, I mean, I, I, I don't really like know exactly, but I feel like, yes, I do feel like women have more reason to be bitter. However, I'm not sure an audience necessarily always wants to see that. It's and sometimes, sometimes when you're too close end. to something, yeah. it's like, the, like when you're too close to a breakup and you're on stage and you're talking about it and the audience is like worried about you, like it's too close. It's too challenging. They're actually maybe trying to escape that, you know? So it is a very fine line yeah, of how never, you frame uh, that. Yeah. Well, you, 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 good luck. I mean, you know, you're going to do, you know, you're going you, I, you know, I'm somebody that works all out on stage. So like there have been periods where I've gone on stage with no distance from, from a breakup or from yes. a heart. And you know, it, it, it's not, it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to watch. And yeah. you know, and, but I've done it and yeah. I've done it over and over again because yeah. I don't know where to process it. How do you get the distance? I'm not a guy that sits down and writes material. It's all going to happen in the, in the real time. And I've, I've gotten, you know, like, um, like I, I do a joke about that on stage. Like some people are going to leave the show, you know, thinking like that guy was hilarious. Some people might leave thinking like, you know, fuck that guy. And some people are going to leave thinking like, yeah, I really hope he's okay. I really <laughs> so like I, I run the, the spectrum of that because I've experienced all of that. There's nothing I haven't done on stage for anywhere from like, you know, two to, you know, 2000 people. Um, but that's the way I do it. And nobody does it like me, but I can't say that it's consistent or necessarily marketable, <laughs> you know? So that's just the way I do it. That's, that's how I live with my creativity. So I, but I do feel like though, with its imperfections and its flaws, it has worked out for you. So, you know, I mean, in the past couple of years, I mean, I know that your career has transitioned. I mean, you're doing incredible work in the acting work that you've done. I mean, on Glow, I mean, your performance was stunning. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the stuff you did for Joker and what have you, like it has fed you in a way and kept you going, whether it's imperfect or not, which I'm all a part of, which is why I have these conversations, because I feel like what happens is people, of course, want to like lean into the perfectionism where it's got to be a certain way or I see someone doing it like this. And what I love about your process is that like there are times where it's not perfect. It's fucking ugly. I'm feeling my way in the dark trying to find the thing and I'm going to get that distance with you on stage watching me having this experience. Yeah, again, like, yeah, I definitely do that. But I think, you know, in retrospect, you know, had I been a different type of entertainer, I would, I would have approached it differently. Mm. Um, like, I don't know why I got into this business. It wasn't to be an entertainer. I, I, you know, I, it wasn't, it just wasn't. Like, you know, I never saw myself as like, I'm going to write a bunch of cute jokes and do a show. Like, I saw it as some pursuit of self-expression, some pursuit of truth some way of, of having a voice. 
Yes. I, I never set out. I thought that there was it was something noble and 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 uh, you know per, you know like like I knew innately or instinctively that you you get on a stand up stage. It's all up to you, especially yeah. early early on. It's like you know you decide how you use that space. No one getting you're not getting paid. You go do your fucking mic or your open mic. We called them back in the day, and you figure it out in in front of people, and you yeah. fail, and you and and. But it was like you defined what it was. Yeah. So, but then if you, as it becomes a business, you know, you should get this many laughs. You should be funny. People should like you. I never paid attention to any of that. And, you know, it was probably detrimental ultimately because like I did spend a lot of years in the wilderness, not really thinking of it as a business, not really thinking of it as, you know, like anything other than an extension of my emotional needs and my desire to speak my mind. Yeah. Um, but like, I'm a little hard on myself. I look back on things that I did in the late '80s and stuff, and I was always, I was, I was always making jokes. But, but like, I, in terms of what we're talking about, I, I have been in my life more candid than necessary. I have exposed things that, that like, in retrospect, I don't regret. But you know, it took a tremendous risk. It hurt other people. Uh, there were, you know, there were things I did that were, I think emotionally irresponsible to myself and you know but but that was my creative process i can't yeah. recommend it and i, and I can't say that it's going to work for other people also you have to factor in that like some people just aren't fucking talented and, and yeah. that's, that's a reality and and a lot of people in the world we live in and i'm not saying this is, is somebody's pompous or anything else like i don't know what the hell talent is or why people have it and why people don't but some people mistake ambition for talent so, you know, and, and sometimes that works. There's a lot of very ambitious people doing things because they've confidently convinced people that they can do them. But mm. that's not coming from an artistic place. That's coming from a place of like, you know, I, I fought for it. I got it. I did it. And now I'm here and I'm doing it. And I guess that appeals to people that have that personality. I want to do it. We're all going to do it. This is exciting. <laughs> but I mean, you know. <laughs> I'm going to do what, it. We're all going to do it. I I uh I wanted to chat with you also too because that last the ending of End Times Fun that last segment you know of course this which the Mike is Pence bit Come on I yeah. mean it's so good uh and I'm what I also noticed and maybe I'm making connections that aren't there but you know you have this thing you had this thing on on Twitter with the Marvel people, yeah, or the DC people or something. Oh, oh the Marvel, yeah, the Marvel Universe people. Yeah, I've, I've upset the Marvel nerds a bit. <laughs> but that, yeah. the, but yeah. I yeah. feel like, and, and like I said, this is just me watching it from the outside, right? And then you do this final bit that is so fucking good and you're and but there's this marvel thread going through it and it was just so like but like if you've been watching your experience with this right you did the conan thing and then it was like it went online and then everybody was coming at like so it felt to me like even this experience of this public experience that you had online then to then have this creative moment as well to me is like this uh, it, it to me it was perfect you know so well, yeah I, I don't it was know. a perfect storm of all worlds well yeah I mean, <laughs> well yeah i mean like i took a stance uh, a sort of like kind of a get off my lawn kind of stance that the marvel nerds like because it, my fundamental problem was with grown people enjoying comic book movies and then defending them in a way 
that was almost, you know, kind of like fanatical and, and like almost religious, uh, you know, their defense of it and how offended they got when you fucked with them and, and the way they kind of, you know, made their arguments. My problem is, is that, you know, grown up entertainment keeps taking a hit. And, you know, we, you know, we mainstream grown up entertainment is now, you know, being made into child. You know, there's this movement towards like, it should be something a, a, a kid will love and, and a, a grown up will enjoy too. It's like, not everything has to be that way. And why do grown ups? why do we have to watch things at home now? Because they, our movies don't sell tickets, whatever. But it all sort of evolved. And I, you know, I certainly took a hit for appearing in the Joker from the comic book nerds. And I was like, look, you know, I have principles, but, you know, and I believe what I believe about the movies. But if you get a call and someone says you want to do a scene with De Niro, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to take the hit from the fucking nerds. And they, <laughs> but these were the same nerds that thought like, you know, that that movie was going to suck and it made more money than, than you know any movie like it, certainly. But but yeah, but my feelings around that, all of my stand up, all of the podcasts, everything that I do as an artist, and I don't call myself an artist very often, but as somebody who is expressing themselves, it's an ongoing conversation that I've been having about similar things for decades. That my my quest for for meaning, for self uh, fulfillment, for self um, the project of completing myself, of 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 kind of feeling peace of mind, and all this stuff has always been in my material, like the themes and the things that concern me and the things that I'm living through. They, they, it's an ongoing conversation. So the, the, the way I talk about in that special about politics, about media, about, you know, a box of wires, about, you know, whatever it is, it's all connected and it's ongoing, the conversation, philosophical and otherwise. So that and also in that special, I was sort of paying tribute to the people that influenced me uh, stylistically in a very subtle way. Mm. And I know, I know what they are like that, that type of comedy that, that last bit like represents was a type of comedy I did earlier in my life, which was sort mm. of like shock driven kind of like mind blowing stuff that was sort of uh, you know, like I didn't have the gravitas or the, the heart to, uh, to not make it just provocative. And I, I think I'd come to a point with my performing skills where that was a very well-balanced bit. I was able to do it in a way that was almost non-offensive to Christians and to, you know, and to comic book nerds. And it was really the most offensive thing possible. So, you know, how to make something so horrendously offensive yet be charming enough to make people who would be offended by it understand it and enjoy it, that's the... That's the craft. That's the next evolution of the craft. I mean, when you were like, because here's, I, I had the joy of seeing that bit live because when, when you I open for me, uh, no, when in Michigan, uh, oh, we, yeah, I was, I saw the, it in at Michigan the Mason, at the Mason, the Mason temple. Oh my God. I'm inside this fucking cathedral. Right. The I mean, Masonic. it was, it was, was otherworldly. That was crazy. It was, it, it was otherworldly and you were, and, and I was with these, and we were all, uh, you know, you were, you were on point that night and, oh, good. Uh, and it was like, I was on this ride and I was like, where is he going with this? Right. Yeah. But then when you do that moment where you're like, I wouldn't do that to you guys. I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> and I was like, fuck. Yes. So I, I feel I let like. Him off the hook. I let them all off the hook. 
I, you know, I could have just left it. That bit evolved over years. That's the other thing about what I do is that because I'm conversational, you know, I can get a bit up and going in, 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 in an incomplete form. Like, you know, like they kind of grow. Do you know what I mean? Um, they like the ideas, like I'll get it. So it's funny and I can perform it. But then as I perform it more, things get added in the moment through the comedy yes. gods, through the, the muses that are happen to you. Cause I write all, I do all my writing on stage. Yeah. So these things evolve in real time and for it to kind of take form in the way that he did with, especially with that part where, where I let them off the hook, uh, or I, I, I release them from their, their, their horror. Uh, you know, that, that happened much later in that bit, you know? But I also feel like, too, as someone who was already a fan, it was it was almost like an ultimate callback to what they had experienced in real life with you because right. they had watched this Marvel situation go down with you. So it was like Some of them. Yeah. But we had already been on board for it. So I don't I know. I just it. feel like this crossover between like what we had experienced with you in your life and then in this bit, right. it, well, it, it really added an extra layer. Well, that's what I'm drawing from. I mean, my life, all of our lives involve all these of other course. things. And, like, but I've gotten very weird with Twitter. I don't do much there anymore because it's a cesspool. <laughs> and, you know, it's just too, you know, it, I, I can't, I can't, nor do I want to get so callous that, you know, people's hate doesn't you know, hurt me. Yeah, no, um, I, I understand so, that. So I don't really like I, I but oddly uh, yesterday I, I tweeted a bunch and, and, but I do still use it for promotion only for promotion. I don't know what it really, how, how that really works out. And I, I still, I just, I get into a habit, but like, if you look at the, the avatar or the, um, what do you call it? The, the, the logo for what the fuck it's the same logo that's been up since 10 years ago. You know, my Twitter icon is the same for 10 years. Like a lot of people, you know, change that stuff. And like, I'm just sort of like, yeah, but it's like, that was the original one. I don't want to change it, you know. I I actually couldn't agree more because that is the brand of it. I you really know? believe that the turquoise color of the yes. logo of the original WTF pulled people to it. Yes. I don't think it's the same now because that image of me is like 20 years old for fuck's yes. sake. But, uh. But like there was something weird about it. And it, I think it really at the beginning was sort of like stood out when there was only, you know, a handful of podcasts. Yeah. So, Mark, you've been a joy. We're going to we're going to take a little break here. Look, I'm resetting. I'm just joking. Uh, we're going to go over to my Patreon right now and keep on chatting with you uh, about your further escapades. Uh, so. You guys, you can visit me over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Melanie Vesey and hear the rest of our conversation with Mark Maron. So we'll see you over there. Okay. Bye.